Joshua chapter 1. We're starting a new book of the Bible today. We're going to study the first nine verses. So we'll read these nine verses, and then I'll pray for us. So Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of a good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I have swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray together. Father, as we begin this new book of the Bible, this new study, we do pray that we could enter into all that you have for us. God, where we're complacent, would you stir us up? Where we need comfort, would you provide it to us? And we know that real life change comes from the knowledge of you, that true life change comes through the power of your Holy Spirit. So would you send your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in truth today? May you set me aside and give me grace and strength in teaching your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Statistics show that four out of every five gym memberships go unused, <laughs> which is often the case for me. Also, gift cards in 2012, Time Magazine reported that $2 billion were unused on gift cards. $2 billion. As we open up the book of Joshua, this is the challenge for us, is to enter into all that God has for us, to enter into his promises, that God is calling us to take steps of faith, to really abide in his word and live inside of his word. As we study this book of Joshua over the next few weeks and months, we don't want to just look at it as history, though it is, but it has great application and significance in our lives as well. For you see, the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt. When they were delivered, it pointed to the cross of Jesus Christ. Pharaoh hardened his heart and wouldn't let the people go. Ultimately, the last plague was the death of the oldest son. However, for the children of Israel, who took the blood of the lamb and applied that blood upon the door, death passed over, judgment passed over. We know that to be the Passover feast. Jesus Christ, when he was baptized by John the Baptist there at the Jordan River, John looks at him and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We were in bondage to a different taskmaster of sin. 
And Jesus Christ, as he died for our sins and rose again, as we apply that blood to our hearts and lives, we experience freedom from Jesus Christ. So we can track with Israel's journey and our own spiritual journey. This generation that was set free from Egypt goes into the wilderness and they wander. Coming to the promised land, God gives them the opportunity to walk in faith. However, they choose to walk in unbelief. They don't inherit the land that God has for them. They're the children of God, but yet they don't enter into the promises of God because they don't believe that God is bigger than the giants. And we can relate to that as well. We can be the child of God. We're born again. We believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ, but we don't believe that God is big enough to lead us into his promises that we read each and every day of our lives. Now, church, this morning, that motivates me. And it challenges me. I don't want to be one of those that just wanders in the wilderness and misses out on what God has for my life. I think we're living in important times and crazy times, and God wants to raise up a generation, a group of Christians that won't simply wander in unbelief, wasting their lives, but will enter into the things that God has for them. I mean, can you imagine them as they're going through the wilderness, just watching a generation die? Their theme song must have been, another one bites the dust, another one bites the bus. That's all they're doing. That's what God's told them. You're gonna just keep wandering here until this whole generation passes away because you don't believe in my promises. What a tragic place to be. Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says these things, the things that we're reading about, were written for our example, for our learning, an admonition, an exhortation to us so that we wouldn't be like them and pass away in the wilderness but enter into what God has. Canaan, the promised land, that represents the promises of God, how God wants to use our lives, the plan that he has for us, the promises that are given in scripture. And you're saying, well, wait a second, I think that Canaan is heaven, that, that that's what Canaan is. And I've heard all of the old hymns that when you go through the Jordan, that's death figuratively and you enter into heaven. But think about it for just a moment. Inside of Canaan, the promised land, were there battles? Absolutely. And was there even sin and failure? Absolutely. And as the child of God, when we get to heaven, will there be sin and failure? No. Is there going to be battles? No. So Canaan represents the the spirit-filled life, the life that God desires for us inside of his promises as we walk in faith. Joshua is a type of Jesus. Christ's name in Greek we know is Jesus. If you translate that into Hebrew, it's Joshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. Moses couldn't bring the children of Israel, into the promised land. He represented the law. He was the giver of the law. The law, do's and don'ts, rules and regulations, performance is never going to bring us into God's promises. Jesus brings us into God's promises. As we understand who he is, as we believe in him, as we walk in him, there's a greater than Joshua that we read. It's our Savior, Jesus Christ, who leads us into the promised land. In all of the studies that we do here at RMC, it's tragic if we don't apply what we learn, but especially with the book of Joshua. If we can study it over the next weeks and the next few months and not be challenged to enter in, we're gonna miss out. I I don't know about you, but I wanna enter into all that God has for me, don't you? I wanna enter into his promises. 
I want to see God defeat the giants and declare his glory. As a church, I want to enter into all that God has for us. This is an important book for us to study together. So let's begin in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Moses is given a great compliment by God. He is his servant and he passes away. This would be a shock to the system of Joshua and the children of Israel. This is the only leader that Israel has ever known. When they came into Egypt, it was a family. Joseph and his brothers, their spouses and kids, a relatively small group of people. But when they leave Egypt, they're a nation and Moses has led them the entire time. Moses has heard from God. Moses has given them the law. Moses had the mo glow, right? As he spent time with the Lord, he came back and his face was, was shining. And now all of a sudden, Moses is dead. How come Moses didn't get to take the children of Israel into the promised land? We know because he was supposed to speak to the rock and instead he struck the rock because he was angry at God's people. He misrepresented God. God wasn't angry, but Moses was. So God speaks to Moses and says, you know what, you can't go into the promised land. However, at the Mount of Transfiguration, who's there with Jesus? Moses. And it's in the promised land. God snuck him in. Don't you love that? Under the new covenant of God's grace. Moses is, is dead. You can imagine how this would affect Joshua and the children of Israel. We continue on. It came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses's assistant, saying, if you're taking notes, write this down, think it through, is that God's work is never dead. God's work's never dead. From the perspective of Joshua and maybe the children of Israel, they could move into a place of being defeated, thinking that God is done working, but God's not done working. As you walk with the Lord, you're going to go through transitions of spiritual leaders. And you may go through a, a time where maybe your Moses, your mentor in your life is dead or God has taken them out of your life. But never forget that God is not done working. He's always on the move. He's always working. His, his movement and his work is never dependent upon a person. It's not dependent upon Moses. It's much bigger than Moses. Jesus is the head of the church, amen? amen. And we follow him, and he's gonna continue moving and working through his church. And God begins to speak now to Joshua. Now, who is this man, Joshua. First, we know that he's Moses' assistant. Alan Redpath said this about the kitchen sink. He says, at the kitchen sink, there's divine service that happens here three times a day. What is he saying? He's saying that character is developed through menial acts of service. Joshua just doesn't show up on the scene and put in his resume and God says, okay, you're the new leader of the children of Israel. He served faithfully in small things as Moses' assistant. So don't despise the days of small things. If we want to be used by the Lord, then be faithful right where you're at, whether you enjoy it or you don't enjoy it at all. First time we see Joshua in scripture is Exodus 17. There's a battle with the Amalekites. Moses sends Joshua in to lead the troops. Important training ground for Joshua. Moses doesn't go into battle. He stays up on the mountain and he prays and his hands are lifted, symbolic of prayer. He gets tired, his hands grow weary and they begin to fall. Aaron and Ur come and lift up Moses' hands and as his hands are lifted again, prevailing in prayer, there's victory over the Amalekites. 
Moses is also seen going, or excuse me, Joshua's seen going with Moses halfway up Mount of Sinai, couldn't go all the way, and he just waits there as Moses meets with God. My favorite depiction of Joshua prior to this is when Moses sends 12 spies to go in and to check out the land. The report by all the other 10 spies is, you know what, uh, the giants are a little bit bigger than our God. The walled cities are a little bit too tough for God. And they're seeing things through sight and they're not seeing things through faith. Joshua, Caleb, and come back and they plead with the people saying, come on, these giants are nothing for our God. God's promised us this land. It's time for us to go in. Unfortunately, the children of Israel listen to the majority, the 10 spies, and they wander in unbelief. Of all of the generations in human history, you would think this generation would trust that God's bigger than the giants, wouldn't you? All of the plagues that they saw in Egypt being delivered out of bondage, coming to the Red Sea, God parts the Red Sea, they go across on dry land. Now that would be an aquarium experience right there. Checking out everything as they're going through the Red Sea. God collapses the Red Sea upon Pharaoh and his army. Traveling through the wilderness, there's a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. God led them by this cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. If you're in the desert, the wilderness, extreme heat, wouldn't it be nice to have a cloud? What would you do? You'd walk underneath that cloud. They were walking in the shade of God's provision. Scripture tells us their clothes didn't wear out, their shoes didn't wear out. Parents, that'd be great, right? I mean, what did the shoes do? Like grow with the kids? God was doing supernatural stuff that's taking place. Manna from heaven, water coming out of rocks. I could use that on my front lawn this summer. I could use a rock that just became a sprinkler that the utilities company didn't know about, right? (laughs) This is just incredible kind of provision from the Lord. But yet they come to this place of these giants and all of a sudden they go, God can't do it. God's not big enough. And we can look down and pick on this generation, but a lot of times we do the same. God's died for our sins. He sent his only son to die for our sins and rise again. And we come into giants in our lives and we go, oh man, these giants are bigger than my God. And we don't say that out loud, but our unbelief, it shows that and it's taking place. Important thing to see in Joshua that he was Moses' assistant, that he was a man who walked by faith and not by sight. He's now being commissioned for this leadership in verse two. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. God doesn't tell Joshua how he's going to get the people over the Jordan. We know that this is a large multitude of people because in numbers, the males, the men, are counted. And there's over 600,000 men not to mention the women and the children. So this is a group over a million people. Talk about some fear and trepidation for Joshua to enter into leadership. God often doesn't give us the how, does he? He doesn't say, this is how I'm going to get you through this difficulty. He just says, it's time for us to go. It's time to take this step of faith. Also, this is not the first mention that God's gonna give this land to the children of Israel. God told Abraham, some 400 years prior. This is the land that I'm giving to you. 
Abraham left the Ur of the Chaldees, not knowing where he was going. The knowing was in the going. Probably hard for him to convince Sarah, we're gonna move, and I don't know where we're moving to. Just keep driving the U-Haul, and eventually God's gonna let us know this is where you're to be. God says, this land, Canaan, I'm gonna give to you and to your descendants. It was 400 years that they waited for this promise, and now is the time to enter into it. Part of what's taking place here, church, that's so exciting, is they're rising above the failure of their parents. They've watched their parents die in the wilderness for unbelief, and Joshua's saying, it's a new day. It's the dawn of a new day. No longer are we gonna walk in unbelief, but we're gonna walk in faith. And there's this subtle lie of the enemy that says, you know what, your parents failed in this way, you're destined to fail in the same way. No, not true with God, not true with Jesus, the greater the Joshua that leads us into the land. We can rise above the failures of our parents. Verse three, every place that your sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given you as I said to Moses. Again, if you're taking notes, jot this down. God's promises require action. God's promises require action. It's past tense. I've already given you this land, but you're only gonna inherit it as the sole of your foot walks on to the land. God could have just wiped out everybody in Canaan and these cities like this in the blink of an eye. But instead, he says, I'm gonna work as you step out in faith and nothing's changed with God. He's already done the work. His promises have already been given in his word, but he waits for us to take action upon his promises to possess our possessions. For example, he's given us the Great Commission to go and preach the gospel and make disciples. We can sit back passively at that command and that promise, or we can step out understanding God's heart that he wants to reach people so we get involved in the lives of people that don't know Christ. We love them, we care for them, we meet practical needs, and we share the gospel with them. We share that Jesus loves them and and died for them. If we want to see God work, we got to step out. We know where his heart is, so we step out where his heart is. Romans 6 tells us that we got victory over sin. Because of Jesus' death, his burial and resurrection, our old man's crucified with Christ, buried, and now we're risen in newness of life. So we say, you know what? I'm not content to stay in this struggle of lust any longer, covetousness, bitterness. I have victory. God's already promised it to me, so I'm gonna reckon the old man dead. I'm not gonna allow my sinful nature to rule me any longer. Old man, you're crucified with Christ. I'm a new man in Christ Jesus, and we take that step of faith to forsake sin and walk with Christ. Then the walls of Jericho fall. Then the Jordan is parted. But we have to take that step. Faith, it requires action. God's promises require action. God is willing to take us as far as we want to go. We've got a whole generation that doesn't want to go to the promised land, that doesn't believe that God can do it. But now there's this new generation. There's this new leader that believes that God can bring them into the promises. Verse four, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, as far in the land of the Hittites, excuse me, and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Israel only inherited a small fraction of the land at their peak with David and Solomon. This territory that's listed here in verse four goes from the Nile River in the south to 
Lebanon all the way to the north, from the Mediterranean Sea in the west to the Euphrates in the east. Current day, this would be the West Bank, Gaza Strip, parts of Egypt, all of Jordan, some of Saudi Arabia, and Iraq. God's promises are vast. They only entered into a short, small portion of what God had given to them. I think the same is true for me. I only enter into a little bit of what God has for me. Sometimes we can get complacent in our relationship with the Lord. Maybe you've walked with God for a period of time, and there's some good structure in your life. You know Sunday morning you're going to be at church, but it's a little bit like, oh, you know. Off to church I go. It's Sunday morning, you know. But we read God's word. We're disciplined. There's some more morality. There's integrity, but we're not really going deeper. You know, when was the last time that God revealed something about himself that we didn't know, we didn't understand, or we felt his presence in worship? And maybe we were actually moved to passion and emotion. And maybe this morning it's a little bit of a jolt in our spiritual system, our spiritual battery, and say, come on, there's so much more land that God has for us. There's so many more promises for God to lead us into. God, I know this promise about you giving me peace that surpasses understanding as I'm thankful and prayerful and choose not to worry. I don't want to just hear about that and tell others about it. I want to know your peace that surpasses understanding. We go deeper in his character. We go deeper into his promises. But God's promises are vast. There's always more. We're just scratching the surface. Even if you've been walking with the Lord for 40 years, you're just scratching the surface. As we get into eternity, for all of eternity, there's going to be more to learn about the Lord. Verse 5, it says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. What an encouragement to Joshua. Joshua had seen firsthand how God was with Moses, and now God is with him. God's presence is permanent. Not only are his promises vast, but God's presence is permanent. Wherever you go, God is with you. They're going to inherit the land not because Joshua is a great leader. It's because a great God is with him. And we can enter into what God has for us in strength and confidence because he is with us. Have you ever been with somebody who's got your back that's stronger, more powerful, wiser, there's some comfort in there and confidence in that. I have an older brother and a younger sister, and the gene pool is just a bit of a mystery, isn't it? Like, we got the same mom and dad, you know, but we don't look anything alike, my brother and I. He's got blonde hair, blue eyes. He's about an inch, an inch and a half taller and 60 pounds stronger. He got the linebacker build, and I got the string being build, you know? <laughs> Where I got to run around to get wet in the shower. It's just not fair, right? But anyway, growing up, I've got this big, big brother, right? So I was a little bit more confident on the playground. I was a little more confident in the pickup games, playing football and basketball. And I'd even talk some trash that I wouldn't talk otherwise. Because my brother, he had this policy that he was the only one that could beat me up, right? It's like he would pound me, but nobody else could. So he had my back. And this is the idea here for Joshua. 
you can step out into this calling that's huge and massive and this multitude of people into battle and giants because I'm with you. And I'm going to strengthen you to give you the power to be able to fulfill this calling. The presence of God in our lives is hard for us to comprehend. It's not really something that's taught. As we drove here this morning, God is with us. He's with us. As we go home from this place, he's with us. Road rage on I-25, he's with us, right? Every single moment of every single day, he's, he's with us. May God make us aware of his presence and allow us to practice his presence because it's his presence that gives us the confidence in the things that he's calling us to. Verse six is our response to who God is. These are the promises that God's giving, but how do we respond to it? In verse six, be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Our attitude's contagious. God says to Joshua, you need to be strong and you need to be courageous. Three times in this short paragraph, it exposes Joshua's weakness. God wouldn't tell him this three times if he wasn't feeling afraid and he wasn't feeling timid. We have to understand that our attitude does pass on to others. We teach it this way in leadership here at the church when someone comes on staff or we're preparing a missions trip. As your attitude as a servant leader here at the church is really important because it's just like an apartment building that has multiple levels, a high-rise complex. Whatever's going on in the seventh floor in regards to plumbing and sewage, it flows downhill, doesn't it? And if there's a disaster with sewage up there, you're going to have a disaster of sewage down here on the third floor. So if Joshua's up here as a servant leader, guess what? If he's afraid, if he's timid, if he's discouraged, then that's going to trickle down to the rest of the children of Israel. But if he's confident in God's call, bold in the Lord, not in himself, but bold in who God is, then that is going to pass on to others as well. The same is true for us. We all have different spheres of influence where God's called us to, and there's always that temptation. Be afraid, be discouraged. God's not moving, God's not working. But you stand up and you trust that God's working and he's doing something in your family. He's doing something on your street. He's doing something in your workplace. He's doing something in this world. Then that's contagious to other people as well. Courage is contagious. When someone stands up and chooses courage and trusts in the Lord, then that passes on to others as well. In verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. God emphasizes it again with Joshua. You need to be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may be prosperous wherever you go. Joshua is gonna need courage to obey the word of God. Not only is our attitude contagious, but our obedience is crucial. For Joshua to be successful and prosperous in what God's called him to do, he has to obey the word of God, and that's gonna take courage. Joshua got this, and he understood it, because at the end of his life, he looks out 
to the children of Israel, gets them all together, says, you know what, if you guys think it's a bad deal to follow the Lord, if you think it's a wicked deal to follow the Lord, hey, then you don't have to. But for me and my house, we're gonna follow the Lord. That took courage, didn't it? He got used to saying, even if this million people are going in this direction where they're not following God, I'm gonna follow God. And church, the same is gonna be true for us. You may be in a job where you're pressured to live a lie, to do something unethical, to write this off, write that off, and it's gonna take courage for you to stand up to your boss and say, no, I'm not gonna do that. I need to be obedient to the word of God. It's gonna take courage, dads, moms, with our kids to say, I don't care what your friends are doing. I don't care what the world's doing. As for me and my house, we're gonna be obedient to God's word. But there's no shortcuts. There's no other way around it. And it's not prosperity from how the world defines prosperity. It's not that Joshua's gonna have all this money, that there's not gonna be any challenges. But what God's saying to Joshua, if you wanna succeed in this mission that I'm giving to you, then pay careful heed to the word and make sure you obey it. Don't turn from the right, don't turn to the left. You know what we're really missing in this country? is a love for God, an understanding of his word, and a commitment to obey it, integrity. That's what's falling apart on every single level of our society. And it's gotta start here. If we wanna succeed as a spouse, as a, as a parent, if we wanna succeed in being a witness in the workplace, we've gotta take God's word seriously, look at it as our marching orders and say, okay, I've gotta do it. I've gotta live it out. I can't turn from the right or to the left. It's amazing with scripture, but verse eight follows verse seven and they logically go together. Crazy, isn't that crazy? So verse eight is the common next step, the logical next step. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. In order to obey God's word, rocket science, we got to know God's word. Doesn't that make sense? So I can't do verse 7 without verse 8. And in order to live out verse 8, God's word's got to be in my mouth, where I'm continually speaking God's word. That's the kind of leader that God wants Joshua to be, that his word is upon Joshua's mouth. Well, how does God's word come out of Joshua's mouth? Whatever's in his heart is going to come out of his mouth. And in order for God's word to be in his heart, he needs to meditate on God's word day and night. Now, to meditate means to chew the cud, basically. As a cow has a difficult time digesting certain foods, then they'll, yes, puke up that food they can't digest back into the mouth to chew it once again. And to meditate, it means to muse, to think over, to meditate upon, to ponder. We've got to define this because like meditation is really cool all of a sudden in our culture. And I'm going to like stretch and empty my mind. You know, I'm going to meditate and this is so relaxing. It's like, that must have been what Joshua was doing. He was sitting around stretching, emptying, you know all the bad stuff. Biblical meditation is not emptying your mind. It's not going to the happy place where you think about nothing. I do that on my own quite well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you 
meditation biblically is to think upon truth. It's not emptying my mind, but it's putting God's truth into my mind and thinking about it. And this is hard work. This takes discipline, mental discipline in what we're thinking about. Like right now, it's in the back of my mind. I'm like, it's a bummer that the Nuggets lost on Friday, isn't it? That was such a close game. Well, wait a second. I'm teaching a Bible study. I got to get on track, right? And your mind's going all these places and my mind's going all of these places. We got to meditate. We got to focus. So this takes some practical steps. We're in God's word, but then we're writing down God's word. We're memorizing God's word and we're thinking it over and over and pondering it again and again and again for the purpose of having great Facebook posts. Yeah, I got a great verse to to post today or to really impress my friends that I know where this Bible verse is. Or maybe I could even write an article on theology because I meditated upon God's word. No, the purpose of meditating on it, first and foremost, not that it's wrong to share it, is to live it, to do it. That's why Joshua's supposed to meditate upon God's word so that he'll put it into practice. And again, God says, if you do this, then your way's gonna prosper. It doesn't mean you're gonna be a millionaire. But according to God's kingdom and his will and living a life that's effective to reach others for Christ, to enter into God's promises, it's gonna take place. We come to our last verse this morning and it's verse nine. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you've noticed God says the same thing three times to Joshua, and each time it gets more emphatic and intense. Did you ever get in trouble as a kid? I got my fair share. And it usually started off down here. Eric, then Eric, then Eric, right? And no, I'm not telling you my middle name. I won't do it, right? <laughs> And God here is a loving father saying, Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Joshua's not getting it. Joshua's still struggling. And God speaks to him again, Joshua, be strong and of very good courage, very courageous. And then here this last time, God says, have I not commanded you? This is my command. This is not my option, Joshua. You have to do this. You've got to adopt an attitude of courage and strength. I'm doing something here. Have you noticed all the times in these nine verses where we have I, God saying, I'm doing something. I'm working. Trust me and be confident in me. And then he says, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. There's really only one of two options. Right now this morning, I'm either feeding my fear or I'm fueling my faith. And we have to choose and make that choice of what we're going to do. And as I look back in my life, there were several crossroads of faith. And some, I didn't walk in faith. I wandered in unbelief, and I can relate to the wilderness experience. And there were some times that by God's grace that I chose to walk in faith. But I can tell you this, that I couldn't have entered into God's plan and his will for my life without walking in faith. And every step of faith involved also a battle with fear and discouragement. 
And if you don't think that Joshua is not facing all of the emotions of fear and faith, you're missing something of this text. Oftentimes we think courage is the absence of fear and discouragement. Courage is continuing to move forward in faith in the presence of discouragement and fear and doubt and not allowing it to paralyze us. First crossroads that stands out in my mind is getting done with Bible college and school ministry. I was really frustrated, I was discouraged, and I was fearful. I felt a call upon my life to teach God's word, but I had no idea how that that would work out and how I'd ever support a family, had a desire to be married someday and have kids. So out of frustration, I called my dad from Oregon. He's in Salt Lake City. My parents were living there. I said, send me an application to, to go to the college, the community college or Utah University. I, I'm done with this whole teaching God's word thing and pastoring thing. I, I need to get a real education to get a, a real job. My dad got real quiet on the other end. Don't you hate that? <laughs> I just asked for an application. Just send me an application. And he said one sentence. He says, God's got a call in your life to teach his word. You shouldn't walk away from it. And it hit me. And I couldn't talk on the phone anymore. And I said, I got to go. And I went for a walk. And it was a crossroads. And I felt the Lord saying, Eric, you don't have to teach my word. You can go do something else. And I love you and I'll bless your life. But if you're going to do it, don't wander anymore and commit yourself to it. And anytime anybody asks you to teach the word, you say yes. Don't worry about if you ever get paid for it or not. And in that moment, I committed in my heart. I said, God, I'll say yes. I say yes today. I'm going to say yes tomorrow. I'm saying yes for the rest of my life. And I look back, and that was a pivotal decision. That was this kind of moment that we're reading in Joshua. Another for me was getting married. I, everything inside of me wanted to marry Amber. And I remember that week leading up to when I was going to propose. I had the ring. I was all ready to go. And fear was just gripping me. All these different things going through my heart and my mind. And Ephesians 5 is like right there. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And I'm like, that's a tall stack of pancakes. I, I do. Christ, he's amazing. How am I going to love Amber the way that Christ loves, loves the church? And in the midst of that fear... And discouragement, I had to choose to trust that God was doing something in my life. And I'm so thankful now to almost 12 years later that I followed the Lord and trusted the Lord in that decision. And when I was 27 years old, we fast forward now to 2005, is eight years ago. The opportunity, God was really moving. There's a big backstory of how I became able to pastor here at this church. But imagine, I'm 27 years old and I start senior pastoring. I don't know if you've noticed, but 27 and senior don't go together, right? <laughs> and there was discouragement, and there was fear, and I was facing all of those things, and my mind was like, this can't be true, but God was doing something. And I was so thankful that God in his grace put on my heart, you gotta trust me and walk in faith. See, and that's the heart of this message, is with the big steps of faith and the small steps of faith, there's always fear and discouragement that we're fighting against, but we make the choice of faith. Even in going across the street and talking to my neighbor about the things of God and of Jesus Christ, for me, it involves fear <laughs> and some trembling. I don't know if you've noticed, but this is a monologue. There's not a lot of, you know, rejection that happens right here. You know, if you really hate what I'm saying, you're probably not going to tell me right now. And if you do, then you get to 
meet our ushers and security team, right? (laughs) But it's not like that when you go over to talk to your neighbor. And every step of faith, we, we go through that. Maybe you know what God's called you to as a parent and you're discouraged. Oh man, I know that feeling. Don't give up. Be strong and courageous. You know that God's done a work, that God's given you that child. Walk in the things that God's called you to. You know where you're supposed to be in the workplace and you're called to be a witness there, but it's hard. Be strong and courageous. Keep it up. You know what God's called you to inside of the body of Christ. You know that you're edifying believers, but it's hard. Don't give up. Be strong and courageous because you know what? God wants and God's desire, and it's my desire for you that we, like Joshua in this generation, would enter into all that God has for us. I grew up in a Christian home where I believe my parents entered into the Canaan, if you would. Not that they were perfect, but they were walking in the things that God had for them in love with Jesus Christ. And at some point in my life, it hit me. I want my own story. I love hearing how God worked in their life, but I want God to work in my life. I want to trust him and follow him. Maybe that's you. You're around believers. You're hearing how God worked in their life, but you're saying, you know what? It's my turn. I'm going to start to walk in the promises of God and see God defeat the giants. Wouldn't it be great to get to heaven and go, oh, remember that giant that fell? Remember when God did this and when God did that? It's a lot better than another one bites the dust. You know, I was just taking up time and dying in the wilderness. All right, let's stand and and pray together.